Yes, sir. Back at it again with another episode of Real Talk with the Jock. Uh, today, I'm joined by a close colleague of mine, a really good friend. He's very intellectual um, from uh, Guinea, West Africa. Uh, he has a Bachelor of Arts in International Relations, and he's currently working on his master's at UofL um, on international affairs. All right, Kata, how you doing? I'm doing all right. How about you, brother? I'm doing good, man. Just taking it one step at a time. You know how it is. Right, right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And so, like, after I read this book, man, I really enjoyed what you had to what you had to say to me. Like, I, I really honestly respect that you gave me the opportunity to read this book and told me how it would revolutionize and reform my life as a whole. And this book has really changed me. The book is is um is the autobiography of Malcolm X as told by Alex Haley. So Alex Haley interviews Malcolm X and they just discuss his life as a whole, the Nation of Islam, him going to the Mecca, him growing up in uh, Michigan and um, how his family was separated and and him trying to find all his siblings throughout the U.S. So um, first and foremost, Kata, like, when did you read that book the first time? Um, the first time I read the book, Oh, I was, um, it was during my undergrad years at the University of North Florida. Mm -hmm. And when I read the book, I wasn't ready that into it. You know, I wasn't really focused. I was, you know, partying a lot. I, mm -hmm. I read, I kind of just went through it. But when I came here to Louisville, mm -hmm. I decided to go back. Because when I read it for the first time, I knew it was a very, very um, important book that I would recommend for every black youth. Mm -hmm. Not just you, but every black person to be able to read this book because it is it is groundbreaking, or it is very transformative. Mm -hmm. So when I came back to Louisville about three years ago, mm -hmm. I ordered the book and then I took my time. I was able to read it, and that's when I read it. You know, I was able to digest on the book, and it had a huge impact on me. So like, it sounds like during your undergrad at Florida, you were just reading it bit by bit or whenever you felt like it. it was but just, when you took it upon yourself. Um, later on in your life, you took it more seriously to read it like almost every day and truly understand it, absorb all the knowledge in the book. And like, honestly, upon reading that book, I think if you're like, if you're a black man, I, I think you're doing yourself a disservice if, if you haven't read this book yet. Not just that, you don't even have to be a black person in general. If you just want knowledge about, um, you know, race issues and, and how you um, can better that situation here in the States or all over the world. I highly recommend this book because even after this book, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, Malcolm X is incredibly racist. And honestly, I don't think I could get along with him in person. But then once you realize how he transformed his mentality and his lifestyle, you come to realize like, yo, this dude is really passionate about humanity as a whole. And he wants to destroy racism. He wants to destroy segregation. He wants unity for all. I agreed, and that's actually one of the most um, important things that I learned from this book. Mm -hmm. um, me and I just being a Muslim, first of all, you know, I would like your listener to know that I'm a Muslim. Mm -hmm. I was going to let him know that, but right, you already right. did. <laughs> yeah, but I, so I do, you know, I'm a, I'm a Muslim, you know, I practice my religious, I don't, I take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think I've told you this before about you know the first verse that was you know reviewed on mm -hmm. the Prophet Muhammad peace and blessed be upon him is a surah called Ikra, which means it's Arabic word it means read. And when I also took the time to read the Quran and came across that surah that encouraged 
you know, Muslim to seek knowledge. And me looking at Malcolm X, who would start in the eighth grade, I believe, mm. he just had an eighth grade education. But when he went to prison, he took time about himself and he was able to read and just read every book that he came across in prison. He read it and he ordered some books, you know, that were sent to him. And it just, even though he never went to school, he never went to university, but mm-hmm. he was one of the most, you know, intellectual people that we've ever seen. He was. Just him taking the time to read. It's very important. Yeah, one thing I really like about Malcolm X is he's passionate. Even when he was like a hustler um, out there on the streets of New York, because he was dealing drugs, he was addicted to drugs himself, is that he was passionate. Is that, hey, I'm going to get what I want, and I'm going to do my best to learn how I can get what I want. And also, like, when you talk about how how passionate he was about reading books in prison, it's it's funny because he read so much that it that it impaired his vision which caused him to have to wear glasses. Right. Like, I, honestly, I, I respect that. It, it just goes to show, like, how hardworking he was, how dedicated he was to understanding Islam, to understanding Elijah Muhammad, and just to better his situation and make the time in prison go fly by. That is true. And a lot of, you know, things that I took from the book, uh, which is very, very relevant to our today's society, Mm-hmm. Uh, our society has become a place where uh, people don't get second chances anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are not given opportunity to learn from their mistakes. Uh, people are not people are not being treated as a robot. Mm. So people don't speak their minds. Um, you are expected to behave a certain way, and we as human beings, we are not perfect. Mm-mm. So the story of Malcolm X. It is so relevant to it. I wish people could talk about this and let people know that Malcolm X was not perfect. No, he wasn't. He was not perfect, but he was able to reform himself. He was able to learn, to evolve, and to grow. And that's one of the things I believe that our current society is lacking because, for example, if you look at you know the cancel culture, mm-hmm. you know somebody who go out there and you know, dedicate his life to humanity and do a lot of good things for people. Mm-hmm. And he will just go out there, maybe maybe just misspeak or say something that is not politically correct. Mm-hmm. And then our society will cancel him. And the story of Malcolm X, I believe, is so significant in today's society because it shows us that this was the guy that was selling drugs. This is the guy that was in Harlem hanging out with prostitutes. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy who went to prison and mm-hmm. he came out not just the head before himself but he changed society he changed humanity i mean he changed the entire world he did he, he really did and then this is this is what i will always give credit to islam for out of any religion that i've seen so far in my life and i'm only 22 years old is that islam does very well to unite people like it really does especially like black people in distraught situations it does well to unite them. And like, here's a quote over here that I like, and it talks about where a lot of the members of the Nation of Islam came from, because a lot of them don't come from humble beginnings. They're, a lot of them aren't really right, the best right. of people. It says, Mr. Muhammad's followers were chiefly ex-cons and junkies. In the early, in the, in the early years, yes, the, the converts from society's lowest levels were a sizable part of the nation's broad base of membership. Always, Mr. Muhammad instructed us go after the go after the black man in the mud. Often, he said those converted made the best Muslims. 
You right. see, because those in the most severe situations, they're going to have the most heart and passion to get out of that situation. Right, right. And he's just getting them out in a better way. Even though Elijah Muhammad was a false prophet and he was teaching a false narrative of Islam, Correct. which Malcolm X um, later learned in his life, um, the proper, the true origin of Islam, the true origin of Muhammad himself. So yeah, that that's that that quote really just stood out to me, and it, it was really impressive. And also, they talk about um, the goal of the Nation of Islam. It says our business sought to demonstrate to the black people what black people could do for themselves if they would only unify, trade with each other exclusively where possible, and hire each other. And in and in doing so, keep black money within the black communities, just as other minorities did. Right. So their goal was always unity. Even though Elijah Muhammad was teaching this false narrative, I think he he had the best of intentions for his people. Right. He just went about it the wrong way, in a sense. Yeah. And, you know, I agree with what you just said. It, it is mm-hmm. a powerful quote in the book. Um, you know, the life of Malcolm X, mm-hmm. you know, it is so relevant today. And when you mentioned the road of Islam, which I agree with. Mm-hmm. I was born a Muslim, but I was not... You know, when I came here at, at 19 years, I was not practicing my religion or faithfully. You were enjoying the American life. I was, you know, I was a, <laughs> a, you know, a youth out there in Florida, got influenced by, mm-hmm. you know, friends, you know, that are shooting, you know, have nothing, you know, we didn't really have much in common. Um, so I wasn't really practicing my religion. And when you said that, you know, most of the people that turn out to become good Muslims are people, some of them are convert. I wouldn't consider consider myself a convert, but mm-hmm. I actually took a time out to read the Quran over and over and just read the text, read the hadith, or read the tafsir, um, read, you know, books that were published by some of the prominent Islamic scholars like mm-hmm. Al-Ghazali, uh, Ibn Tamiya, and other people. Mm-hmm. And it really shows that Islam is a religion of peace. It's a religion of better when I agree with what you say, it brings people together. Exactly. That's what that transformed Malcolm X. So Malcolm X, you know, people look at him sometimes as this violent anti-white guy that he was. I think you and I had this conversation before over Mm -hmm. the phone. And I told you that Islam reformed Malcolm X, especially when he took that pilgrimage when he went to Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. It was a life-changing moment for him and it is in the book he said when i got to saudi arabia i saw white people that have the bluest of blue eyes exactly and i saw some white folks that have blonde hair mm-hmm. and he said i saw some of the darkest people from africa mm-hmm. and people from all walks of life sat in the same you know place and ate in the same bowl mm-hmm. and that really changed him when he came he was like you know what um not all white people are evil. Mm-hmm. Not all black people are evil. And I'm going to treat people, you know, by the content of their character. And that's why Islam preaches. Exactly. And I think a lot of people feel like if they would, if they were to listen today to one of his, his speeches, they'll be like, okay, he's just spreading hate. A lot of people don't understand that. For one, Malcolm X's father was killed by the, by the Ku Klux Klan. And his father was was a big Pan-Africanist. He preached back black unity, and his father was actually Christian. 
And then on top of that, it was a government agency that separated his siblings and put them all in foster care and foster homes. And they were all adopted and stuff. And his mother went to an insane, insane asylum because she couldn't handle the bills and trying to take care of her children on account of her husband being murdered. So there's that. In a sense, Malcolm X's racism was justified. But at the end of the day, racism is not a justifi justifiable act. He's just an individual that's been through a lot. And from like hearing some of his speeches, I can tell not all of it. Yes, he is intellectual. Not all of it came from from intellect. Some of it came from just sheer, sheer emotions um, emotion and, and anger. anger. And I'm yeah. just like, OK, this guy's been through something like you don't talk like this unless you unless you've been through something. Right. But that's why I, that's why when I read the chapter about him going to the Mecca in Saudi Arabia and him um, being offered all these luxuries um as if he was being treated like a white person back right. in the 1960s that was just so new to him you know a, a blonde hair blue-eyed arab man offering his bed for malcolm to sleep on you know right. and and eating with them and e eating with the with the wealthy family of um the royals in saudi arabia right so that that was impressive because i think it was that kindness and that hospitality that really showed malcolm like yo i'm in the wrong i can't i can't keep operating like this it's 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 hurting me in the long run. Right, right. And, you know, I agree, you know, Malcolm X, you know, was the creation of the American system. Absolutely. You know, he was the creation of um, <clears throat> of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. um, he was the creation of, um, you know, pseudoscience. Like, for example, when his wife got put, I mean, his mom, sorry, his mom got put into mental institutions. Mm -hmm. You know, people try to, pathologized, um, you know, minorities, you know, and put them into boxes and, you know, made them seem that they were, you know, some, some of them were suffering from, you know, mental illness, they couldn't support themselves or they couldn't have children, they couldn't be responsible for their kids. This is how his family was separated. Mm -hmm. Or eugenics, this, you know, extending into the practice of eugenics um, and other, you know, awful actions that were taken against African-Americans. Well, Malcolm X, you know, came from that. You know, he was created by the system, you know, that was designed, you know, to keep black people, you know, at the bottom of society. Mm -hmm. So this is why at the earlier age, when he was much younger, he was very angry and he was mad at the world mm -hmm. because, you know, seeing his father get brutally murdered and see how his mom got treated, mm -hmm. it had a psychological effect on him. It was. So that's what I make him. But at the end of the day, mm -hmm. you cannot used hatred you know you cannot use hatred to preach peace or to preach unity so this exactly. is why islam was able to reform him and his travel him traveling to saudi arabia you know when he came back he became a, a reformed man but our government still look at him as an enemy exactly and just like for a, a quick note for you guys if no one ever knew this malcolm x didn't want to be this um this political figure or or this uh, revolutionary at the core of his being malcolm x always wanted to be a lawyer he always talked about it he that's what he wanted to be right but it, it crushed his dreams one day when his te when he told his uh, i think it was his fourth grade teacher right and he was the smartest student in his class like yeah, he had the he had the grades for it he was the most respectful in his classroom as well but back in those days the the teacher literally told him that's that's no career for a nigger yeah literally with, yep. like with the er like the way we say 
the N-I-G-G-A is how they used to say it back then. It was just like, it was like nothing. It's like if you ever watch Django. So, <laughs> so there's that. And then, but what, what I wanted to elaborate with you on, Kata, is how, how loyal Malcolm X was to the Nation of Islam. He was loyal to a fault. He was so loyal that even with hearing rumors about the adultery that Elijah, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad committed, he tried to ignore it. But he couldn't ignore it anymore. And then he said this, like, this is how I knew he, this person was very loyal to what he believed in. He said, the thing to me worse than death was the was um, the betrayal. I could conceive death. I couldn't conceive betrayal, not of the loyalty which I had given to the nation of Islam and to Mr. Muhammad. Right. That's a dedicated human being. That's someone that's so loyal that they're blind to anything else. That's You can't be loyal to that. You have to question some things sometimes. Would you agree? Um. Well, you have to look at his background. Mm -hmm. You know, he was in prison, right? And Elijah Muhammad had a huge impact on his life. He was the first person that introduced him to Islam. Mm -hmm. And not the real version of Islam, but the corrupt version of Islam. So he looked up to this guy as a father figure, you know, and... I do agree with you to some point that sometimes you have to question certain things. You know, you can't, yeah, you can be loyal to somebody, but then when you start seeing the signs, you know, some uh, inconsistencies, you know, um, seeing some of the action that, you know, that does not align with what they are saying mm -hmm. or what they are preaching, you know, you should be able to question. But he was a very loyal man. And loyalty is, is not a bad thing. You know, at the end of the day, he was able to, I mean, to get the truth. But what you should also understand is that those movements that were formed, you know, to address, you know, um, injustices in America, to fight racism mm -hmm. and white supremacy, those agencies were infiltrated by agents, you know, that were just there to sow discord, to mm -hmm. sow misunderstanding to break up the organizations, you know, that's, I mean, there are numerous interviewed, you know, on some of them are on YouTube, where Malcolm has mentioned that, you know, sometimes he will go into gathering and, you know, undercover agent will come to me and say, guess what, I'm a cop. Mm -hmm. You know, I work for the state. They send me in here to come and spy on you, but I can't do anything about it. But I'm a cop. They will tell him that. Mm -hmm. So he was very aware of what was going on. So this is why it was hard for him to question because, he was looking, you know, from the point that okay, this could be uh, deception mm -hmm. because that's what the government uses to break, you know, people apart, to sow division, to sow chaos. So he was also looking at it and also trying to look at where he came from and how Elijah Muhammad took him in. He looked at him as a father figure. So this is one of the reasons why it took him a while for him to realize that you know mm -hmm. he was not preaching. He was not really doing some of the things that he was preaching. Exactly. And also, like when he when he talks about um, the chapter out, basically him, um, you know, separating himself from the nation of Islam, and you know, on the verge of going to the Mecca. This was before he left. Right. It was when he found out about that adultery scandal uh, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad had. Yeah. Is that basically he was just like, yo, I need I need to learn the true Islam, and I, I need to basically gather my own understanding and you tell me this all the time i will right. never let anyone jeopardize my beliefs or knowledge right that i hold dear right and that's what malcolm x was about and also like this this infuriated the nation 
And as we all know, it was the nation themselves that killed um, Malcolm X, or at least at least that's what I know for, to to a degree. But anyways, so that there there wasn't just um, death attempts from oh like you know white people that were enraged from him by him, but there there were members of the Nation of Islam. Some of them instructed to take his life away. And I've read it in the book. There was a guy that was supposed to wiretap his vehicle to explode, but the but the gentleman um, walked up to him. He said, "Well, I was supposed to honestly take your life. I was supposed to wiretap this vehicle." And then he, he told Malcolm, "He said I can't do this because at the end of the day, you, you've been one of the most devout followers of Elijah Muhammad, and and I I can't I, I can't fathom this. It's it's not right." So. That that's one thing. That's how I know this dude has really impacted people's hearts. Because for someone to even know like you're true without full fully having evidence, that's enough, man. That's that's very impressive. Yeah, and just to clarify about his assassination, mm -hmm. yes, he was assassinated by black guys, mm -hmm. but they were not a part of the nation. Um, or you're not sure. I'm not sure they were part of the nation. I, I doubt it. Um, mm -hmm. they were pretty much doing the deeds of, you know, mm -hmm. whoever was, you know, the handler was, you know. So this is how deception works. You know, somebody can come into your house and use somebody against you to mm -hmm. eliminate you. You know what I'm saying? People can play on people's ignorance mm -hmm. to carry out some of that, you know, dirty deeds. So you have to, there's a book uh, that we are now going to discuss on, maybe when we have a chance, it's called The Out of War. You've read it before, it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. If you read The Out of War, you will see exactly how deception works. Um, so, again, going back to the point that you make is that Malcolm has learned from prison, you know, you whenever you want to seek the truth, do your own research, believe in yourself, mm -hmm. you know, just follow the truth and it will be revealed. Like you just said, that you don't let nobody try to, you know, discourage you from finding out, you know, the truth mm -hmm. or seeking knowledge. And that's all he was doing. He was just learning, doing his own research. But he was aware of the situation he was in. It was very, very delicate because this is a guy he was loyal to. And this is an organization that's infiltrated by agents everywhere. Mm -hmm. And the sole purpose of the agent were what? To disrupt the movement. Yeah. You know, to make it ineffective. In other words, they also expose, you know, what racism, some of the things people don't understand about racism is that, or systemic racism, some of the things people don't understand is not just about, you know, you being police profiled or you being denied certain jobs. It also evolved people that have influence, right? Like mm -hmm. Malcolm X, that has so much influence on African-American at that time. So his enemies at that time, the government, one of the things they tried to do is they will try to use your strength against you. Mm -hmm. So Malcolm X strength lies in the support that he received from the inner city, from the African-American community. Um, Elijah Muhammad strength came from you know, the support he received in the African-American community. So what the government wants to do is that what? To, to break that, you know, to, to kind of expose you and expose you as a phony, that this guy who is out there preaching religion, preaching Islam, he's a phony guy. He committed adultery. Malcolm X, he's a criminal. 
you know, he says drugs to people, you know, that's what they want to do. So they were like trying to have him viewed as like charlatans. Exactly. Like try to expose as a phony. Mm-hmm. That's, to me, that is the worst form of racism. You know, that's one of the things that people have to understand. And it still happens still today. You know, divide and conquer is an ancient exactly. you know, form of deception that is used on people to break people apart, to, to destroy organizations. Exactly. And the irony with that, like with white media is like, yes, you're, you're saying they love to discredit black leaders, but they don't. But they never address when like their presidents have scandals. Their presidents are sleeping with uh, another woman that isn't their wife. You know, that's never addressed. But when it comes to like a black leader who has who has the right head on his shoulders, they're like, right. ah, you can't listen to this idiot. L- look at his background. Look, look what he's done in his life. Right. Like, right. you know, they use the past against you. But then when it comes to their own leaders, like, right. oh, no, no, you know, it was just a, it was a little mistake that all of us can make. Like, no, right. it's not, man. Right. It's, it's the same stuff. But anyways, I wanted to transition to another topic about right. the value of the black dollar. Right. And how like the upper echelon of the black community back in Malcolm X's time and a little bit. I see it today in this time right. would like do anything to have um, white validation to be viewed as, hey, I'm more than just a black person. But he talks about, like, for instance, like how we buy so much, but we don't own nothing. He talks about uh, he says, for instance, uh, 40 percent of the expensive imported Scottish whiskey consumed in America goes down the throats of the status sick black man. But the only black owned distilleries are in bath, uh, bath, bath, bathtubs or in the woods somewhere. Right. So I'm just like that baffled me. I was just like, okay, that is very true. Like, you want to go to these fancy restaurants and all. Why don't you just invest in your own restaurant for your own people? Right. Where they don't have to deal with prejudice and so on and so forth. Like, <clears throat> be the change you want. Right. Instead of seeking approval from others. The only approval you should have is from yourself. And your community. And, and your community. People that who look up to you. And it is, it, is, it, is a, it is a sad truth. And, in fact, it is just getting worse in our mm-hmm. days. Um, for example, today, look at... Our celebrities, mm-hmm. you know, um, black people, like black influencers, what it is, you know, business people, moguls, hip-hop artists, mm-hmm. people that are influencing the black community. Exactly. Just look to their, for example... People that are pushing P. Like, you know, I've always, you know, thought about this, you're right. I've seen not just African-American, like rich black people in Africa. I yeah. saw a YouTube click about this African girl. Yeah. She has a YouTube channel. And do you know where she went to make her YouTube video in Dubai? She went to the United Arab Emirates, you know, showing this exquisite boulevard, you know, street, Mm. framing herself. Okay, this is how people live in Dubai. This is how (laughs) people do. So Malcolm X was speaking to that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, black wealth, creation of black wealth. You know, why should I go? You know, I used to talk to this girl before, way back, about a couple of years ago. Mm. She told me, she said, oh, when we get married, we're going to go on, on vacation to Dubai. I said, no. Mm. I'm going to go to Timbuktu in Mali. And then she used to get upset. Because if I go to Timbuktu in Mali mm-hmm. and I have a dollar, I will be able to, you know, there will be like a little girl mm-hmm. with the fruit stand. Mm-hmm. I could buy her fruit, you know, I could spend my high-end dollar year, 
you know, a Mali that will what? Impact the people mm -hmm. of Africa, impact the people of your own country. You're going to go to Dubai. Those people have billions of oil money. Yeah. What has those people done for Africa? Look at Saudi Arabia. Look at the... I was watching a video about the, uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed Ben Salman. He has a fleet of gold-plated uh, Bugattis, some of the car costs about $60 million. That's These crazy. are the people that claim to represent Islam. Mm -hmm. But they have done nothing for Africa. But we get our money in order for us to validate ourselves, mm -hmm. to validate who we are mm -hmm. in society, we go to Dubai and ride in the desert. We have the beautiful places in Africa, in the we Caribbean, like that we, you can go to spend your money. I want to go to Rwanda someday, you know, a nice vacation. Um, they, they're really starting to develop. Yeah, most of Africa isn't first world as you may claim to be. But I went to I went to Khartoum, Sudan in 2020, December with my mom. Uh, yeah, 2020, December with my mom. And I enjoyed it. Like, I had a good time. And it's just like... It's more so like just paying homage and going back to your roots. Cause like at the end of the day, other groups of people like Asians, they'll be like, man, I'm gonna go to Thailand. I'm gonna go here. Or like white people like, oh, I'm going to England. I'm going to Paris. You'll never hear black people going, yo, I'm going to um, Johannesburg, South Africa. Oh, I'm going to Lagos, Nigeria. They just want to defer from it. it, it it's saddening. Agreed. And yeah. it is the validation. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, it is the validation of society. People want to be validated. You know, people want to be looked at, at you know, bourgeoisie, um, people from upper echelons of society. Exactly. And you don't have to go to Dubai to take photos in the desert for you to be validated. I look at validation as a purpose by having a purpose of life. And having a purpose of life, you know, if you look at Malcolm X, Mm. you know he had a purpose of life he didn't care about material things he wanted to make sure his people his people are freed physically and mentally and he wanted to make sure that he leave a society a little bit better than he found it those are the things that i found validation in i mean there are deserts we have the, the largest desert in the world is the sahara desert it's in north africa i could go to morocco or Algeria and write you know Ride camels and camels, stuff like that. You know, mm -hmm. I don't have to go to Dubai. People that don't really care about you. They don't give a damn about you, man. You they don't spend a dollar in your country. Mm -hmm. So these are the things that we we have to we have to, like you said earlier, vacation in Africa has to be sexy again. We have to make it sexy again to say, okay, you know what? I had a vacation. I went to Africa. You mm -hmm. know, I went to Timbuktu. I went to Rwanda. I went to Kigali. Exactly. I went to Khartoum. I want to Kingston, Jamaica. I want to Montego Bay. You know, go somewhere where you can spend your dollar on your people, where you can have an impact on people who looks like you. Where you're treated with dignity, exactly. first and foremost. Where yeah. you're not going to be like, you know, looked at when you're eating your food, when you're enjoying yourself with family and friends. Where the waiter or waitress will go to you first. You know what I'm saying? Right. Where you're amongst your own, where you're safe and comfortable. Right. So... I'm not preaching separation. I'm just saying love love your own as much as they love their own, man. Because right. they're not going to stop loving their own. Right, right, right. But they'd love to see you to stop. So 
you know, that's that's just what I believe in, man. And I'm I'm glad you elaborate elaborated a lot on that, Kata. So now I wanted to go into this. This was really, I I think it was the second to last chapter, right? Or yeah, and this is when Malcolm X fully like realized who he was as a person. Right. He realizes so much that he had his name changed. Malcolm X's true name, after all this, after he was Malcolm Little, right? Um, his true name is Al Haj Malik Al Shabazz. So that is his true Muslim name. And I remember a quote that um, Elijah Muhammad told him, he said, your last name will be X until Muhammad himself, not Muhammad himself, until Allah gives you a new name from his mouth. But I think he perceived that new name through like prayers. And that's when he was anointed the name. So that that was very beautiful to me. And I, I really like that name. And it, it just... It, I feel like he connected a lot more to Islam. I agree. You know, Islam is is a religion. You know, um, it is a religion when you embrace it. It's very spiritual. You know, when you embrace Islam with your whole heart, it affects your soul. It affects everything that you do, the way you think, the way you look at society. You know, Malcolm X was a very angry young man. Mm-hmm. You know, but when he accepted Islam, you know, with his heart, you know, and embraced it and decided, you know what, I'm going to get over this Elijah Muhammad version of Islam. I'm going to seek the knowledge. I'm going to go to Saudi Arabia. He went to, not just Saudi Arabia, he went to Egypt. He went to Ghana. Mm-hmm. He went to other countries in Africa. And traveling also exposes you to new ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very important also to travel. And he was able to seek the truth. And once he seek the truth, that's when he was able to really redefine himself and rediscover who he was and his purpose. And this is why, you know, when I read the book at the end when he got sucked it, it's so sad because what a beautiful soul that we lost. He was. He was absolutely a beautiful soul. You that's know, what, what I be- thought, too. What a beautiful soul we lost. And one of the things that people don't talk about, a lot about, the, about some of the things Malcolm X preached. People think that Malcolm X was just anti-white. Mm-hmm. No, if you look at Malcolm X from that lens, then you're missing the bigger picture. One of the most important parts that I like from the book was when he talked to us, we the black people, mm-hmm. our fault lines, our weaknesses, like what he just mentioned about, you know, we spend so much money on liquor, but we don't have no distinct, no, no, no manufacturing company. Exactly. You know, black purchasing power is in the billions of dollars, but we don't own any businesses. So he talked about how to be responsible people, responsible fighters, how to uplift our society. To me, that is the part that is missing about Malcolm X. People just look at his revolutionary speeches. People think he was an anti-white bro when he spoke to black people. Because he was a guy, not just, you know, uh, a Muslim preacher, but he was a philosopher. Mm-hmm. He understood what was wrong with black society, what is wrong with us. And he used to preach to that. And your enemy, your, what your enemy don't want to see is for you to be able, you know, we have people like Bob Marley and other, you know, revolutionary figures. The most important thing that you can do to an individual is to free his mind. Absolutely. And that's what Malcolm X was doing. And, and I think what a lot of people don't understand is this, like, what's more 
what's more luxurious, what's more uh, valuable than money, than gold, than silver, than anything is knowledge, is knowledge, is information that is passed down generation from generation. There's a reason most of these businesses are owned by a particular group of people. It's because those families kept giving them the blueprints of how to, of how to have ownership, of how to organize business and so forth. I think we're obligated as people of color to give that to our families now. You, you got to learn knowledge and you got to give it generally, generationally. Because with knowledge, you, you got to be educated for you to make money, for one, so you can learn to make it the easy way. Work smarter, not harder. And th that's that's just the, the keys to it all. But what I wanted to also like um, get on was the relate was like the relationship with Africans and African Americans, and I think Malcolm X's trip to Africa also had a huge impact on him as well, just as much as the Mecca did, honestly. Because when he went to Africa, he not only he went to the Mecca to get more connected with Islam. I think he went to Africa to get more connected with his origin yep. as being Sub-Saharan African, and um, he says this. I said that physically we Afro-Americans might remain in America fighting for our constitutional rights, but that um, philosophically and culturally we Afro-Americans badly needed to return to Africa and to develop a working unity in the framework of Pan-Africanism. So he was big on unity um, for black people as whole and not just only Africans and African-Americans, but you know, the Caribbean black people, the Canadian black people, the South American black people, like black people in Brazil and so on and so forth. And that's all he wanted to do because that Pan-Africanist mindset would just allow us to better organize and help one another. I agree to the point and that it, this topic is very broad and it's very significant. It's brewing. I wanted to send you a link actually before we got on the show about there was this outbreak of conversation that occurred a couple of days ago on Twitter mm -hmm. about the, I think it's a, frame director of somewhere, his name is, I think, something Tashigna Reed, and he's an African-American frame director. Mm. Um, um, he sent a tweet out, and he asked a question about, it's a very provocative question on immigration. He said, how uh, immigration, black immigration affect African-American? It is so ignorant. And it was a you know, conversation that went on for days. And a lot of Nigerians were actually offended by it. And when I read some of the thread, it already you know, sounds offensive. You know, and I, I, not just offensive, I felt disappointed because. Do they feel as if they have to compete with other groups of Black people? Exactly. And that's what Malcolm X was speaking to. We are stronger together. Exactly. I believe that the future is Black. I generally believe that the future is Black. I'm right there but with you. But the brother. only way we can achieve this is through unity, not division. Mm -hmm. Black people, we are the only people in the world that not just, I won't say we, I believe that we and the Jewish people, right? But Jewish people now they have their country in Israel, they can go there. Any Jewish from any part of the world can go to Israel and become Israeli. But besides from them, we the Black people, we are, I would say, the only creature out there that where I was, you know, our where we, I would say we are scattered all over the world, mm. from the Caribbean to South America mm -hmm. to the Middle East. They have Black Palestinians, they have Black Yemenis, um, mm -hmm. Iraqis, Saudi Arabia, they have Black folks out there. 
we are everywhere and if you look at you know united states of america we have about more than 50 million african americans mm -hmm. so if we can come together and then we have a whole continent mm -hmm. the richest continent on life that is out there waiting for us going back to the point i was making earlier about white validation or trying to you know to not just i would say white validation but trying to validate yourself in society that you are so significant by going to dubai and taking photo and posting on instagram mm -hmm. um but if we come together like what econ is doing right now in africa right it's beautiful you know i i said um we have how many black billionaires we have today in the united states quite a few uh, we have people that are multi-millionaire right we have a whole continent mm -hmm. we have the resources as we are as we are sitting here right now Ajak, you know i'm very passionate about this topic because it is so significant mm -hmm. while these people were bickering on twitter about black immigration affecting african-american you know with that nonsense you know what white people were doing what they are orchestrating coups in Africa, coup d'etat, taking over government, installing puppet. As I'm speaking right now, the new scramble for Africa is happening. I don't know if you learned this history, but... It's, um, I, it's actually a word. It's called a modern-day colonialism, but it's colonialism through paperwork, so it is, not just a sheer military might anymore. It is happening now. So as we are bickering on Twitter mm -hmm. over petty stuff, white folks are out there signing contracts with puppet government dictators that are installed in African countries. Yeah, don't and forget are, China. And they are going there. We're going to get to that. They are mm -hmm. going there, stealing resources, you know, stealing resources, African treasure. We could be part of that. If we are united as a society, we could benefit. It could be beneficial both to Africa and African American. I do not see any difference between us. And... You know, I'm reading the book, this book right here, Black Atlantic, for mm -hmm. one of my classes. It's very significant. Um, um, Paul Giro talk about mm -hmm. those people, Black intellectuals or Black influences, have to take a center stage to address this issue, not to let ignorant like this guy that I just mentioned, the film director that went and posted that, you know, provocative question. We shouldn't let these people take the narrative by posting stuff that could create division and hatred among you know our different societies exactly black intellectuals should take over and make sure and continue to preach and show that we are all african we are all black if a police sees you on the street they're not going to know whether you, are, you were born in africa or whether you're born in detroit all they see is black exactly that's why like i think we need more african leaders like uh paul paul kagame because this dude literally revolutionized his own nation. Like he about the Tuni and Tichi war, I believe, uh, uh, ethnic tribal war. Right. The Hutus and, and the Tutsis. Yeah. Hutus, thank you for correcting me. The Hutus and the Tutsis. So he literally said, if you ask another person what tribe they're in because it bothers you, you're going to jail. That is perfect. That that shouldn't be a thing. That's a, that's a main thing that I feel like Southern Sudan has an issue with. And... I'm, I'm Southern Sudanese biologically, but I was born in Khartoum, Sudan. So I, that's where that's just where I was born at. But I think that tribalism stuff is, is what's separating us. 
you know that that i mean yes it's beautiful to understand your culture and be who you are i'm not telling you not to do that i'm just telling you to do that and also look look to those that look similar to you and see them as a brother as a sister right and also like when you talk about how they're um you know there's a new scram for uh, scramble for africa in a sense right and uh i like this he malcolm x says this in a book and he said this back in the 60s right he said um uh, referring to Caucasians, he he said they should come here to Africa and see how you grin at Africans. You've really got you've really got integration here. But can you tell that Africans that in America you grin at the black people? No, you can't, and you don't honestly like these Africans any better. But what you do like is the minerals Africa has under her soil. So yeah, you know they'll smile and grin at your face, but at the end of the day, like yo, you're just you're another nigga in a sense, but you know, I, I don't want to attack or attack or, you know, demonize white people or anything like that. Absolutely not. I have nothing but love for other groups of people, but we have to come to a realization that no one's just in Africa to just be there. There's, they have a purpose here and, and a hidden motive. You know, it, that statement that the guy you know made on Twitter or whatever the post he made is mm -hmm. it was very ignorant, and he just made you know immigration simplistic, and it is not just that, and it goes back to this old playbook of dividing and conquering people. Mm -hmm. You know has been played for generation on Africa, and we have to rise above this and realize mm -hmm. that we are stronger together. I believe that African American can have a huge impact on the continent of Africa. And Kata, how do you think they can have that impact? They can have an impact because of you know history, what they've been through. Mm -hmm. Because African American have been able to overcome. You know, they are still fighting, you know, institutional racism, but they have the history and the background of overcoming segregation, mm -hmm. lynching you know they have been able to rise above that and create a vibrant society and i believe they can you know um they can share this knowledge with africa mm -hmm. because the same forces that kept african-american in bondage is the same forces that is in africa keeping africa what it is today but just using different forms you know, first it was through missionary, you know, first colon, you know, missionary, then colonization. Now it is a new scramble for Africa. Mm -hmm. You know, it is the same, pretty much they are using different tactics, but achieving the same result, which is what? Economic benefit, you mm -hmm. know, exploitation of African resources. And African-American have the knowledge and the history to be able to ship you know, this narrative on the continent of Africa. Mm -hmm. um, if you look today, for example, my country of Guinea, very rich country, it has bauxite, it has gold, it has diamond, you know, and you can have an individual, a corrupt, you know, multinational corporation can go in there and just bribe an individual who is in a position of power. And they can use that to pretty much you know, plunder the country resources. So if we come together 
you know, Africa, African-American, those in the Caribbean, those in Europe, mm -hmm. we come together as, as a force and united. We can change. You mentioned earlier about China also, mm -hmm. which is very true. Like some of these loans that are, you know, China is offering to the African government. So you know, we can have people out there in the West, you know, economists, you know, African-American intellectuals that can bid, you know, economic advisors to this government these young democracies that are rising up in Africa, they could become advisors and say, hey, you signing this contract with China, make sure this, and you know, like, advise this government. Make sure your, your demands are met. Exactly. But those, most of those things are done by white people. Mm -hmm. You know, so we, I believe the African-Americans have to engage the continent. And we can only achieve them when we come together exactly man like not just that i think young africans if, if you're a young african person out there just um working on your uh, degree or working on your trade school whatever it may be if you know that what you're doing is beneficial to the continent like try to go back and do what you can you know to whether it be just educating your people or trying to build infrastructure or businesses there you, you just owe it to them because at the end of the day, you're having the opportunity that they couldn't because not all Africans can come to America or Europe or whatever the case may be and become more educated. I agree. Um, African, you know, to be specific, sub-Saharan African, we don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. We don't have to even get on the boat and try to immigrate to Europe. And Obama made a famous you know, phrase when he went to um, Ghana, when he first you know, became elected. And he says, Africa does not need strong men. He said, and I quote, Africa needs strong institutions. Mm -hmm. Because until we build these institutions that can, you know, withstand or prevent military coup d'etat, or that can prevent the flat of you know the flat of you know of capital out of Africa. Um, do you know that almost ninety billions of dollars every year mm -hmm. are taken out of the continent and shipped to tax havens? Ninety billion dollars every year annually. These are money that are stolen from the coffers of African government, just few individuals ship up more than $90 billion into tax havens. So one of the most important things that we have to do in Africa is we have to have strong institutions that, let's say, there's a very bright lady, man. She's a professor at the University of Nairobi in Kenya. She's very bright. You know, she's a finance expert. But she talks about this. She said they have been trying to pass resolutions in the United Nations so that they can have a universal tax code and create mechanisms that can prevent, you know, the transfer of capital out of Africa to tax haven. Mm -hmm. Do you know which countries veto that measure every time it comes to up, every time it comes up in the United Nations General Assembly when, when, when it's time to vote, okay. the United States and mm -hmm. Great Britain? Because these are the two countries mm -hmm. that benefit you know, that benefit um, 
stolen West. Now I would say this um billions of dollars that are stolen for African countries. Keta, I think you're forgetting one major country though. Yeah. And literally this country's economy flourishes off your region of the continent, West Africa. Right. France. France from everything France's economies from from the chocolate, from from the minerals, from literally your own athletes, how France had won um championships in right. soccer. It's West Africans. Right. It's ridiculous. It's just like, yo, not only are we going to use these resources, we're just going to use some of y'all as well. We're literally going to borrow some of your athletes. You know, that's I, ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I, the, the story of France in Africa, that is a huge topic. Maybe one of Yeah, maybe, we'll talk about it next time. But it's just like, I think it's ridiculous. It is so true. And actually, right now, there's a pushback. There's a pushback against France mm-hmm. and West Africa. I know we, Ghana did. We have this thing you know, called France Africa. Is this loose relationship between France and Africa, especially the West African countries? And there will be no France today without Africa. Oh no. France economy will be in the dust if it wasn't for you know um West Africa or usually you know Francophone in Africa. So, but not in West Africa, there's a pushback. There's a there's a, there's a rise in or anti-France sentiment. Mm-hmm. You know that almost, I don't know how many countries, about, feed, about a dozen African countries have this currency that is pegged uh, to, that is uh, pretty much pegged to, to the French economy, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense. And this currency is controlled by the French. This is, this is a currency that is used in Mali in the africa's they call the france safer mm. so essentially france controls the economy of these you know african countries they manipulate their currency mm-hmm. they control their economy so now there's a pushback some people are saying that why we've been independent from france for more than some of them 50 60 years and we still have france controlling our currency and as i'm speaking to you right now there was a coup d'etat in mali my ancestral home is Mali. Actually, there was a coup d'etat in Mali. Mm-hmm. And just last week, there was another coup d'etat in Burkina Faso. There was a coup d'etat in my country, Guinea. These are all French-speaking countries. And then Mali. So they are pushing back against this French domination of West Africa. And watching the youth today in Africa, I believe there's a glimmer of hope because the youth in West Africa is not rising up to say enough with France. We're gonna stand up. If France does not, you know, solve our problem, if France gonna give up, if France just gonna come here and steal our resources, we don't want, you know, to associate ourselves with France. And Mali has started doing that already. And I believe that the youth of Africa is actually rising up to challenge France in Africa. I think that's just a long time coming and I think not just the youth in Africa themselves should be joining up. I think the youth of the diaspora as a whole should be rising up. I agree. I think we should just take it upon ourselves like, hey, we're not going to make the mistakes of our forefathers of getting into bed with you all, of signing contracts that only benefits your side. You know, we're going to revolutionize in a safe, respectable manner, and we're going to help our people. Um and, and just use our own resources and have our own oil reserves regulated by us. Because right. that's one thing that really baffled me. Right. It's just like, how do we not regulate our own oil reserves? That's ridiculous. 
it, it, it's on your soil. So, but that's just for another conversation. And yeah, man, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're obligated as the youth of Africa. And we got to take it upon ourselves to just, to just dismantle the system that, that doesn't benefit us in any way, shape or form. I agree. And what is actually sad, you know, I'm very hopeful, you know, about the future of Africa and, mm -hmm. you know, black diaspora, but I believe our generation, we have to rise up. We first, we have to be united. We have to come together. We have to get over those bickering about, I am, you know, African-American from slave descent, or I am African-American born in Africa. We have to get over those nonsense. Mm -hmm. Because those arguments hold us back. And if we come together, actually, we can achieve so much. Because right now, even though I'm hopeful, but the trends running in Africa is very bad, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. It's very, very bad. You know, we have our former masters that have dominated us for centuries. Mm -hmm actually planning the future for their children, for their great-grandchildren, laying out plans, strategic plans, you know, and we are out there fighting among ourselves, you know, bickering on Twitter, um, you know, getting involved in, like, right now in Sudan, there's a coup d'etat upon coup d'etat, mm -hmm. civil unrest, you know, coup d'etat in Mali, Guinea. Those things host countries back exactly so instead of us in this information age you know strategizing on how to move the continent forward we are out there falling back and i believe that the solution lies in institutions like obama said africa needs strong institutions we have our our forefathers you know people who literally fought for you know independence in africa they had mm -hmm. ideas right and they funded this organization like the ECOWAS, economic community of west african state we have another uh, regional grouping in east africa central africa not you know um and then we have the african organization I mean, now we have african union before it used to be african organization uh, oau organization of african unity nice you know au these organizations can transform africa but they don't have teeth. So there must be reform in this organization, strong reform. And one of the most important steps they should take is a country in Africa has to have a seat, has to become a permanent member of the United Nations. Mm -hmm. We have five permanent members of the United Nations, right? Mm -hmm. Great Britain, United States, France, Russia, China. Five. Mm -hmm. There's no country in Africa. None. That's astonishing. The first thing we have to set up is what we need, need a seat on that permanent membership. Because why? When they decided to go and bomb and destroy Libya, they voted at the Security Council and approved it. So pretty much a decision about Africa mm -hmm. that affected the entire region of the Sahel. Right now we have Islamic insurgency in the Sahel region of Africa. Mm -hmm. This decision was made at the United Nations Security Council. Five permanent members voted on the fate of Africa mm -hmm. and no African was present. That's ridiculous. And because of that fateful decision, 
they went and overthrew and killed Muhammad Gaddafi. Mm-hmm. And the insurgents still have spread all over West Africa because of that. So first, we have to have a seat on the permanent, you know, on that. We have to have a country from Africa that is a, what, um, that is a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council. Mm-hmm. Once we have that, mm-hmm. then Africa, we have to reform the AU and of course, for us to be able to, you know, create strong institutions that can, you know, contribute to the development of the continent. Exactly, man. Everything you said, Kata, it just it, it just hits right, right, spot on, spot on, man. It just hits spot on every time. And like before, before we end things here, is there like anything you want to let the people know um, that you feel is of importance, maybe about yourself or something they need to start looking into? Um, yes. Um, you know, this is my first, I know you've told me about your podcast, um, some months ago, and this is my first time getting on it. Hopefully uh, I will get a chance again to get on, you know, I actually, you know, love doing this. Um, but they should look up to some of my writing. I love to write in my free time. I, you know, I write essays on, I write portrait. I also want to publish. I want to write a book. So just keep that in mind. I'm working on it. It's going to come. So one day, um, I might get on this podcast again and let you guys know that I have some project coming up. I have, you know, a few portraits that I've poems that I've written. Um, I'm, you know, I write short stories, fictions mm-hmm. and non-fiction. So look forward to that. Let, let them know where they can find you at on social media, man. Um, I'm on Facebook right now. Name is Mohammed Keita. That's my name on Facebook, Mohammed Keita. And I'm also on Instagram. I'm friend with Ajak. Mm-hmm. on instagram definitely gonna shout you out yeah so i'm actually on instagram a lot so you can find me on instagram as mandekata it is m-a-n-d-e-k-e-i-t-a-1-8-2-0 so it is mandekata 1820 it is m-a-n-d-e-k-e-i-t-a-1-8-2-0 uh, I'm right now. I'm just active on Instagram. Uh, my Facebook is not active yet. I kind of deactivated because of you know <laughs> the distractions. I had to focus on my schoolwork, but I'm on Instagram. You know, you can find me there. I write you know just a little bit on Instagram, but not in details. But uh, uh, I'm gonna start on you know a blog post. You know where you will find my writings. I'm gonna inform you guys maybe in uh, during one of the uh, next episode with Ajak um i will you know keep you guys informed but right now just follow me on instagram monday kata 1820 i i believe will you know give me a shout out so you can oh absolutely man absolutely yeah man i'm I'm glad uh you guys came to listen in it's been another episode of real talk with a jock and as usual i kept it real man i appreciate y'all god bless